0: Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians three fourteen through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God.
1: If you have been with us since the beginning, uh, you know that we are going through our sermon series on Ephesians, and this, uh, in which we've been calling Rooted, this is the passage from which this title comes from. Paul writes that you would be rooted and grounded in Christ's love, and that's important for us. As a church, this is what it means to be the church, is to be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. That's ultimately kind of the center hinge for which Paul is praying for the Ephesian church as well. The Greek word that embodies this really well is the word lycopersicon. Now, it's not actually a word that is found in this passage but a word from which we get wolf peach. I don't know if you've heard of a wolf peach before. You've probably actually eaten a wolf peach, though. They're pretty abundant right now. They're what we commonly known, or call a tomato. Tomatoes were discovered uh, when the conquistadors went to um, the ancient Aztec city, Tenochtitlan, which is just fun to say, um, and they discovered the what the um, Nahuatl word was "tomatl," and that's where we get our word tomato, uh, which just means fat berry um the aztecs ancient aztecs used the the fat berry for in almost everything that they had but when the spaniards brought it back over to europe introducing it to them actually not that long ago in the 1500s for what we know is so so prevalent through um you know southern europe and how they how much they use the tomato um they thought it was poisonous They thought it was another uh, type of nightshade as a belladonna or a mandrake. And they called it the wolfberry because they thought witches would use it to turn people, to poison people and turn them into werewolves. And so it got the name wolfberry, which I think is a phenomenal name for like a restaurant, uh, which there's only one wolfberry restaurant in the whole U.S., which is crazy to me there's a lot of debates about the tomato is it a vegetable is it a fruit technically speaking it is a fruit it is a berry uh, that forms out of flowers um, and it's used in nearly every cuisine uh, all throughout the world only having been introduced to the world about 500 years ago there's a thousands of cultivars it's highly adaptable and like i said it's grown all over the world and in nearly Every cuisine has a very full-on tomato presence in it. Does Japanese food, that was the one that I was not 100% sure of, but all the others uh, throughout uh, the world uh, use tomatoes. When Christianity was first growing in the Roman Empire it too was thought to be dangerous and poisonous. People thought uh, that Christians were actually atheists because they didn't have a, a, a an image of a god that they worshiped. They didn't have a carving, they didn't have a, 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 a tablet or something that they would put up. So they were often referred to as the atheists and they were thought to be dangerous to society and especially the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire said, you can worship any god that you want to. You can worship all the gods or none of the gods But Christianity claimed to be the exclusive way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it cut a lot of people out. I shouldn't say it cut a lot of people out. It cut a lot of gods out that otherwise would have been worshipped and Jesus just would have been another in the pantheon of gods uh, to be able to choose from. It sounds a lot like the world in which we live today. There was an exclusivity to it while being incredibly invitational. But it led to persecution, it led to imprisonment. Paul was writing Ephesians from prison. He was in prison because of his faith. But Paul also knew that imprisonment wouldn't stop the work of God. And Paul turned to God while he was in prison to do the only thing he knew that he could do aside from writing letters. But even this letter shows forth how prevalent prayer was throughout Paul's life. He knew that being able to be while he was in prison, he could pray. And that god would still be doing the work out there he says it's actually because he's in prison while he prays he says for this reason i buy i bow my knees to the father in the previous passage he kind of explains that he's been in, that he is in prison that he is suffering for the sake of the gospel and he says so i pray i get on my knees and i pray to god this is the central part of his prayer in Ephesians. Throughout Ephesians, Paul has just kind of taken these side uh, tracks and, and prayed for the people, and this is the central part of his prayer, that the Ephesians would be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. It's something that seems so ethereal, so immaterial, but is actually the most solid thing that we have. Prayer actually seems really immaterial and ethereal what is the most solid thing we have can feel like shouting in the dark it can be like hoping that there's someone out there that does hear us that is listening to us and it's all that we have in the core of our being that when we get down to having nothing at all we turn finally to prayer does God hear our prayers is he even there does he answer them i hope from this passage we will hear that he does because it is actually the most intimate thing that we can do with God. A lot of times we have these very polite prayers in the Christian church. We have these very um, perfunctory, very um, polite, nice prayers that we pray on Sunday mornings or in public. But real prayer prayer is is grinding it out. It is bringing our hopes and our fears before God. It is opening up the honesty that we have with him, opening our hearts to him so that we can know more about who we are and then begin to see who God is in that as well. Prayer is the place where you can be most real before God. Paul prays because prayer orients us to the hidden work of God. We pray because it orients us to the hidden work of God. That's what this passage is about, orienting us to the hidden work of God. Those are the three things we're going to look at, orientation, hidden, and work. Prayer orients us. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees to the Father, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Prayer orients Paul both to God and to people. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, the God who is in charge of everything, who is above all rulers and authorities, who is the highest authority in heaven and on earth, from whom all families are names. That attention is brought to um, those around us as well, to the families, to people that we are in relationships with. Remember, one of Paul's major arguments of Ephesians, is that God includes everyone in his, in his family, in his people, Gentiles and Jews. Jesus has torn down the dividing wall. And so Paul, uh, in his prayer, is oriented both to God and to others. We have orientation. We have belonging when we are included, when we find ourselves in the family of God, when we pray. Tomatoes need orientation also. Tomatoes are a vine and they are a wild vine. They can grow, uh, like I said, almost anywhere, but for them to truly be fruitful, for them to truly produce how they are how they are supposed to, they need either a cage or a piece of twine. That's what I usually do is put a, a piece of twine up and then I can I wrap that around the tomatoes so that they can grow upward and have some structure for in their Lives. They are weak vines, and so they need structure and support. This allows them to produce an abundance of fruit and keeps them off the ground away from pests and diseases. Tomatoes need orientation. And the same is true for us and our faith. We need to be oriented. It's so easy to orient ourselves to so many other things in this world. There's so many other options of how we can orient our lives. Prayer brings us back to being able to be oriented to God. There's this romanticism about being a wild vine, to going off and doing our own thing, of being out there in the world. We don't need anybody. We don't need uh, all the um, you know. We don't need support. We don't need community. I can do it on my own. But the truth is, we can't. And when we do try to do it on our own, we become incredibly selfish and we become incredibly oriented to ourselves, right? It is an Instagram feed of, of cultivating like what we want people to see about who we are. We can't produce fruit on our own and we can't live life on our own either. One of the problems, one of the biggest lies of modern culture and in suburbia where we live as well is that we can do it on our own, that we don't need anyone else. We believe that it's a private faith more than just a personal one. Keep it to yourself, and that's what we're the lie that we're told throughout our lives as well. But the truth is we need community. We need people around us, and the community that we're going to find that's most uh, secure, that lasts the longest, that allows us to truly be able to be ourselves where we can bring our hurts and our pains as well as our joys. And our hopes is in the community of the church, oriented towards God, oriented towards one another. Prayer reminds us of this. Eugene Peterson says, "Prayer is the practice of shifting preoccupation away from yourself toward attentiveness and responsiveness to God." I'll say that again. Prayer is a practice of shifting preoccupation away from yourself. For attentiveness and responsiveness to God. This is how we are able to live our lives, how we are able to make it through this wild world. Secondly, prayer orients us to the hidden. Verses 16 through 19, Paul continues on, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, it's often translated inner being, but it can also be translated inner man. One of the things that we believe as Christians is that when uh, that Christ comes into our life and then finds a home in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that can be so tempting in our prayer life is to, for it to be incredibly subjective and to pray for whatever kind of um, is out there. Um, whatever comes to our mind, whatever um, we are are going through in our life, but and it just to kind of be this again this ethereal nature of prayer. The truth is that when Christ dwells in us, we have this inner being, this inner man who who orients our prayers towards. Christ in the hidden places. So that's not just what we want to be praying for, but it's what Christ prays for us and with us. He is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us so that we can know all these hidden things, the love that he gives us, the strength that we have to be able to comprehend what God is doing. So much of what God is doing is hidden in this world But then when we pray, we are oriented to the hidden. That which God reveals is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. To know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As you were reading this, uh, Gail, it struck me that we would be filled with the fullness of God. That seems so impossible as we live our lives, as we see the concerns that we have, as we go through being distracted and being misoriented throughout our entire days. Almost immediate, you know, the the mercies are new every morning. It seems like they're new until we run into someone else, right, until we pick up our phone, until our spouses have woken up with us, until uh, the dog needs letting out, until the kids are up in the morning, and his mercies end at that moment, it feels like in our lives. But the truth is that God is filling us up with the fullness of God. And those are the moments in which we need his mercy. This is a practice thing. Prayer is not just something that we naturally do. We go through most of our lives without praying. And when we find ourselves in the most more challenging places uh, of our lives, we finally turn towards God in prayer. But to be able to practice this, this, to be able to practice prayer is something we have to cultivate throughout our lives. Um, when in the good times as well as the bad. It is looking not just at the external, not just the outside of people, which can be extremely subjective. But it's looking at our own hearts and being able to have that hiddenness of other people revealed as well so that we can pray For them, this is how the Spirit works, dwelling in us, in the inner man. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say here is that we need one another, and that God again knits us together. Tomatoes um, have a lot of problems in the garden. They're they're susceptible to a lot of pests. To Oh, the little white bugs, I can't think of what they're called, A- aphids, thank you, not avid brothers, but aphids, um, they need ladybugs to be able to, to take care of them, uh, to be able to eat all the aphids, um, and one of the things that you can do to deter all these pests and diseases is plant them, have which we call companion plants basil is great for this alliums garlic onions uh, mint um, is wonderful for this because they hide the smell of tomato vines Um, they cover that up and so these plants protect the tomatoes tomatoes in turn then can protect other plants as well carrots and other low growing plants there so there's this companionness by which they are able to grow they can't Do it on their own. And again, it can be so seductive to believe that we can be on our own. There was an an Instagram story that I saw uh, recently of this couple that was like, what is it like to live in Colorado? And they are out there riding trains. They're doing these beautiful hikes. They're skiing. They're exploring all the outdoors and all that this great state has to offer And that's great, I mean that's beautiful, that makes for good images on Instagram, that makes for a really good exterior life, but the truth is living here is living in community for us to put down roots, to be able to reach out to one another, to build um, uh, relationships that we have with one another. Again, it can be so easy in the suburban context to see the manicured lawns, to see uh, the beautiful homes and how everybody's redoing it and living their lives fully. It looks like everybody has these beautiful lives, but like the front of the home, it can be just a facade. I don't want us to hide behind our facades in this place. I don't want us to hide behind um, the lie that we can do it on our own. I don't want to show off our riches in place of showing off the riches that Christ has for us as well, right? We need one another. Remember, we are with all the saints. We can live our lives with depth. We can love deeply. We can love sacrificially in a way that surpasses knowledge, When we pray together, we are able to begin to speak from our own hearts to share the hidden part of our lives, that part that we want to hide. But in Christ, we know that we are forgiven and that we can share our lives with those around us. One of the lies I believe is that I can do this on my own. That I can plant the church, that I can invite all the people, that I am just I have this immense magneticism that invites all these people. I can cook enough food to have people come and eat here. But again, the truth is that church planting is not a singular endeavor. I need your involvement we need your involvement this is a place where god uh, reveals to us not only the sin in our lives but also the gifting that he has for us how we can love and support one another how we can together invite people into this community how we can together bring forth the hiddenness that is in people's lives so that they can know how deep and how wide and how high and how wide Christ loves them beyond anything that they could imagine. Prayer orients us to the hidden, the hidden work of God. Prayer orients us to the hidden work of God. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, I actually prefer the NIV translation um, of this passage, um, which I think is, it just draws it out more. Instead of saying, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine, Paul writes, or that translation is, Now to him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. I think that draws that out so much more because we ask, we can come to God and bring our prayers and petitions before him. But we are limited, not only in our asking, but also in our imaginations. And what God wants to remind us is that he can and will do even more than we can imagine. This is a verse that has just carried us over the last four years of our life since we moved to Colorado to begin this work. That God would do all more than we can ask or imagine because we are finite people. In, in, in our work, whether it's as a doctor or in our studies or a, a nurse for new mothers coming in, we only have so much capacity in our lives. But God says, God promises to us that he will do even more than we can ask or imagine he gives us strength and he gives it for generations forever and ever one of the images that we have for this in the new testament and throughout scripture is that of gardens is that of olive trees and of wine vineyards these are plants that take years to get going, from a, from a very small seed to grow into a tree, from a vineyard to have these vines that actually produce um, grapes that can be used for wine. These take about seven years, both olive trees and vineyards. But we also know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have, um, we have a, uh, an orchard and we have vineyards that have been there since 70 AD, since the Romans sacked Jerusalem we now have fruit and vines that are still producing generations, thousands of years after which they were planted. This is the image of the work that God is giving to us. One of the ways in which we, are, we look at this um, in our lives is uh, through... Let me back up. This reminds us that whenever there is a garden, there is a gardener. When, with tomato vines in particular they kind of run their own course they're wild they kind of do whatever they want to do and one of the things that happens is they have these little suckers that come off they want to produce they want to grow and so in between two of the one of the branches another branch comes up in the middle and they grow and they'll produce flowers and they'll produce fruit but the lie is is that that actually produces more fruit in there on the through the life of the vine than than when those suckers are either pulled off or cut off. And so you need to have a gardener to go in, to prune, to take care of the fruit, to be able to grow it, it to its full potential. Like I said, there's a debate between tomatoes being either a fruit or a vegetable. We debate whether how we say tomato or tomato. I always like to say tomato, tomato, because it doesn't matter at all. The question is, is this work ours or is it Christ's tomato-tomato? Yes, absolutely. It's the same. We can over-spiritualize our own work in our own personal lives, and we can over-spiritualize the work that we do in the church as well, saying God's just going to do all of it. He's going to take care of all the things that we need to do. Or we can under-spiritualize it and say it all depends on me. I'm the only one. We, as the people, in our hands and what we do is that which matters. But the truth is, all of it matters. God does all more than we can ask or imagine Peterson, again, says work is the primary context for our spirituality. When we work, both in the church and outside of it, we have a lordship that we are able to join in with Christ. We bring order to chaos. People don't know what's going on. When one of our kids is sick and we're Googling and there's all these sorts of answers, our minds are going crazy. They're all over the place. But when we finally go and get medical attention and take them to the doctor they go you know what it's not all it's not any of these things we can rule out right we can rule out all these things and we can go it's this this or this here's the medicine take this take care of it if it changes let us know but they bring order doctors bring order to chaos this happens through serving happens through laying our lives down for one another so it's not just ruling but is giving ourselves to the work that God has given to us as well. The truth is, Christianity is dangerous. It is kind of poisonous. It disrupts our lives and how we want to live for our own selves. It kills the lie that we are a wild vine, that the externals are what matter, and that work is up to us. But when we join with Paul and all the saints, and together as a church, when we pray, We are oriented to the hidden work of God in Christ, who does all the more than we can ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the reminder that it does not rely on us and that you invite us into your work, whether that's here in the church, whether that's outside in our professions, in all that you give us, Lord, Help us to remember that you make it more than we can ask or imagine. Disrupt our lives, Lord, so that we can be oriented to you. Remind us that we are not radical individuals and going out there and doing it all on our own, but that in you we have life and that you give us life. You bind us to one another and you bind us to yourself. And so we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.